but I'm, I wanted to say it. And then there are the prophets. The prophets are the people you kill. They're the ones who go out and exhort people. They, let, they yell at you. They tell you that you're not doing anything right. I'm more of a prophet. My ministry has always been more of a prophecy ministry. You just have to, that's why we're, I'm so grateful that we fasted with the aspect of not being offended. It's easy for me to offend people. Um, sort of one of my talents. I want to talk to you this morning again about we were in the first book of First John and the fourth chapter. There's some Bibles around underneath the seats and places if you don't have one, and you don't need one. We're going to put some verses up here. At least we'll put up... Uh, I'll find it in a minute. I told you last week my spiritual birthday is May the 2nd. And so I, I was born again as a young Methodist aspiring minister. I wasn't, I, I was not yet a born again believer even though I was raised in the church and everything, and all I did everything you're supposed to do, I played very sincerely church. I played that game. And I uh, did all I knew to do, but I didn't find the Lord until May the 2nd, 1957, when I was turning 19. So uh, it was a real, real shock to me. I honestly believe that that's when I went from innocence to saved. I went from being under the protection of God without my knowledge or without knowing anything about it. It's called the age of innocence. We usually think of it as 6 or 12 or some age in there, and the children are in the Lord's hands until they're able to make their own decision. Well, I never had an opportunity to make that decision until that, till I was 19. So that's, that's when I did. As soon as I heard and I knew what it was, I accepted. It was a wonderful experience for me. And I, I, I wasn't rebellious against God. I was looking for God. It's just I did everything that teenagers do when they're not Christians. And you have plenty to repent of. And the thing that's made my Christian life stick, the thing that's made it work, the only reason I'm still a Christian, because I've had ample opportunities to go off on rabbit trails of being a sinner and doing my own thing. I'm inherently, I inherited selfishness. I'm very selfish. And I'm very sinful. I mean, I know what my heart is, and it's desperately wicked according to the scriptures. So, every, so my life has been to turn to the Lord, and the only way I knew to do that was to try to follow the scripture as much as possible. You have no idea. 
our educational system is so against the Bible. I mean, you know, but... And now our, the Marxists that have started back in the late 1800s have taken over enough of the educational system, enough of the university systems, enough of the uh, political systems to where everything that they can get, I think this is a little too much, is, is uh, damaging and you have all these thoughts that are not right. I mean, in Romans 12, 1, it says the, that we're, we're brought in to God in the renewing of our mind. Boy, is that necessary. Constantly have to renew your mind into the scriptures. And so the scripture is the one thing that you can go ahead and make a leap of faith on. That is, I tend... I will believe the scripture no matter what the intellectuals or the smart people say or whatever they come up with. So that doesn't mean I'm not really ignorant about a lot of stuff. You go to school 19 years and you learn that you're ignorant and you learn all the rest of your life and you try to do things right, but you still don't know very much. So that's why I always say, I don't know very much, but I have a lot of opinions. I got that from old John Burns. Nothing's original with me. Everything that I can tell you, everything I know, even things I've thought up, I've heard somewhere or read somewhere or saw somewhere or it came, somebody told me something. Uh, anyway, it's the Bible. The scripture really is true. And you can hold on to it even if you don't understand it. And so, you know, when we were being lambasted with something like evolution, and if it's threatening, a little threatening to my belief system, I'd rather believe what I think the Bible says than believe what the theories are that they can't, that they propound to the point of, if you don't believe this, you're stupid. The same way with climate change or the global warming. If I couldn't see that they weren't raising money for this and using it to change whole economic systems, it wouldn't bother me so much. And I don't care if it's getting warmer or cooler. All I know is that historically the earth has gotten warmer and cooler and warmer and cooler and it's doing some wobbling around out here in space and it gets closer and further away from the sun at different times and so of course there's going to be climate change. I just don't think it's man's fault. And I don't know if you remember, but I showed you if, if this is the earth's surface right there and I lay this paper on here, that's how thick the atmosphere is on the earth. <laughs> you know, there's not much there. And so it doesn't take much to change it. So if, the, if we're a, a small degrees further away, it's going to change. It doesn't mean that man does it. Man, man isn't nearly as big a deal as we think we are.
We're not as smart as we think we are. We're not, we're not running. We're not in control of everything. We want to be, but we're not. So you trust in the scripture as well as you know it, which requires you to have to read it some. Meaning that you keep one by your toilet or by, you, you put it somewhere convenient that you get trapped to reading it a little bit. And you work on it a little bit. Otherwise, you don't have time for that. You just, nobody has time for some things. So you have to make yourself. And as Christians, we find this to be possible. There's a little boy that heard the story about how God took the rib from Adam and made his wife, made Eve. And that bothered excuse me, it bothered him for a long time. And he had been running with his friends and he came in the house and his and his side was hurting. And he said, Mommy, mommy, come quickly. My side hurts. I think I'm gonna have a wife. <laughs> it's not that we interpret everything right. It's that if we have it, at least, at least we've got something for God to work with. If you have a computer, and it, and I, I got, I bought one of the first ones. It was some little thing, I forgot what they called it, but you'd know. Back in the '70s, it's a computer, but you had to program it. You had to put stuff in it, knowledge. I never could figure out how to get the knowledge in it, so it never worked for me. You have to program things. And the scripture is what programs it for us. So we get these different things. That's why this is here. And I'm talking about a funny subject this morning anyway. It's in the 12th verse. I was reading from 1 John, and I'll read just a minute of it so that you get at least some Bible this week for those who don't have a shelf by your toilet. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God towards us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him, as our life comes from him. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man has seen God the Father at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us and his love is perfected in us. I want the 12th verse emphasized. What I would like to talk about is that God is invisible. <laughs> this is a radical verse. No man hath ever seen the Father. And I believe no man ever will. I believe you'll see where he's at. But I don't believe you'll ever see the Father. Isn't that disappointing? We'll never see the Father. We'll never see God the Father. 
kind of puts a number on our father-son relationship or father-daughter relationship here. What if we never saw our father? What if that just didn't work out? And some don't. It's a difficult thing. But God's invisible. You can't prove God. There's no way to do it. You can't prove there's a God. You can see his handiwork. You can see what he does. You can tell that, that I'm at this place. Even if I left this room, you could say, well, he was there. Wow. He was there. <laughs> with all kinds of sound effects. <laughs> the reason you had no eyes there is because I left some things there. When you see a flower or you see a bird fly or you see the beauty of the hills and vales, then you know God's been here. It's beautiful. But there's a reason why we don't see God. The scripture also says, now, believe that God is or you can't please him. You have to believe God is or you can't please him. I thought that's the dumbest verse I've ever heard. When I first read that verse, that's like, that's like saying, well, Kirk is sitting here or we wouldn't be able to see him. That, it's the same thing. I mean, it, here's a pulpit. You know there's a pulpit here. You can see it yourselves. And so we're, we're not dependent upon faith for anything that we can see. You don't have to have faith to see something. It's there. I don't need any faith. I need science. I can sit here. I can get out a measurement, measure things, get the density. I can tell you what kind of wood it is or isn't or something about it. But it doesn't take faith. You don't have to have faith. There's not going to be any faith in the hereafter. There's no faith in heaven. You don't need faith if you can see it and walk on it and touch it and be a part of it. I don't need faith to believe in Manuel. I know him. He's here. I know when he's not here. His wife's feeling bad today. Say a little prayer for her. The faith is believing in something that you can't see. And so we don't see an invisible God. You're not supposed to see God. You're supposed to believe in God. Now, God knew how stupid man was, so he didn't just trust us with that thing of faith like he did Abraham. Abraham must have been a fantastic person. I mean, I'm wondering if his IQ were 250. Wondering, he must have been exceedingly smart and intuitive and open. How could a person be as open as he was? Everything around him was had to do with the false gods and statues. Remember, his dad made 
made gods to sell. And he broke his dad's gods. And then he said, well, ask him what the, who did it. <laughs> you know, he, he had a great sense of humor. But Abraham began to believe in God. He knew somehow God's love got a response from him. And that's all it takes. That's how you get to know God. It says that God first loved us. So all we're doing is somehow when he finally gets our attention some way or another, touches us some way or another, we respond and we say, oh, there is something beyond me. There is something out there. There's something to believe in. There's something bigger than us. There's something greater than history. There's something bigger than the universe. I like to give you the things to think about. Remember, God had to create a universe, a space, in order to put a creation in it. Stars and suns and things. He didn't have a space to create. It wasn't just there. This being that you never will see, the Father, the God of all, had to create a place to put a creation. It's like a builder has to get a workbench in order to make a cabinet on it. He's got to have something to work on. Got to have something to start with. And he has to plan ahead and work on things like that. It's incredible how you could believe this could all be an accident takes more faith than it does to believe God's word. That's truth. And so the scripture says in Hebrews 1, God who in sundry times and in divers manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory, whatever we're talking about, is the brightness of God's glory, and the expressed image of his person, and upholding all things by the power of by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. This was Jesus Christ. So Jesus said he's the expression of God. He's the expressed image. There is an image of the Father. We can't see it. Because it's beyond our abilities or our, our programming. It's something that we can't, we're not built to handle seeing God. You know, when, when, he, when the prophet stood in the, the cleft of the rock, facing the wrong direction in a rock that closed in on him, and God passed by on the outside, it nearly blinded him. Even the risen Christ is more than we could probably handle physically. 
he would have to down himself in order to express himself to us physically. It's not safe to be in the presence of God. If God the Father showed up, it would either consume all of us, just instantly evaporate us with his presence, or or all of us would be blind, all of us would be blown, our minds would blow, like you can plug in something that's supposed to be a 110 and a 220 and blow it. Well, if, you, if you're in the presence of the God who's given all knowledge of all things that ever existed and ever will exist, we're suddenly in your presence and all of that's emanating from him. You couldn't, you're not programmed to handle that. God's invisible for lots of reasons. But, he's a, but there's an expressed image of him. And that's Jesus Christ. When, Jesus, when you read the book of John or the book of Matthew or Luke and the Gospels and, you, and Jesus is expressing things, it's just astounding to me what he says. When he told Pilate, Pilate said, and I've told you this many times because it so impresses me. Pilate, uh, Jesus said, those that know the truth, hear me. And Pilate said, well, what is truth? Well, he could have said, of course, he'd got a spear through him if he'd have said it at that moment. But he could have said, those that hear me know the truth. Well, what is truth? Well, those that hear me know the truth. Then what is truth? Well, those that hear me know the truth. I mean, that's what else could you say? He said, I am the truth, the way. He said that. So all truth that exists, exists in Jesus and expresses itself in many other ways. And we get the chance to see some of this stuff. One of the scriptures that's so important in this because it's the same thing in, in John, the first chapter of the gospel, says no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Great verse. Jesus said he was talking with Philip. Philip was having a hard time understanding some of these things, and he wanted to grasp it. And Jesus said unto him, Have I been with you so long a time? Yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? He was trying to express that the God that that you will be able to understand comes through me. I will be the expression, expressed image of the Father. The Father might be invisible, but he's given expression to us. He's not left us without a witness. He's given us something, a gift, a gift to be able to actually know him. And that's why Jesus is so important as the aspect of religion. That's why other religions are wrong. 
The Muslims are wrong. Even though they accept that Jesus was a prophet, they don't believe he was God. The Hindus are wrong. All of us were wrong before we believed in Jesus. Whether we were good heathens or bad heathens, we were wrong. The same as anybody else that doesn't know Jesus is wrong. You weren't made to live without Jesus. You were only made to know Jesus and him live in your heart and make you his flesh and blood. There isn't any other way. There's no other way. Does that mean we're supposed to be intolerant and hateful or judgmental? No, it means that we have to love the poor people that don't know Jesus. Remember, he first loved us. I had a grandmother that loved me enough to pray for me or I would have never become a Christian. My parents didn't know what it was. We were playing church. We were busy being church people. But, it, but we didn't know Jesus personally. When you know Jesus personally, there's power in your life. There's overcoming strength to live this holy life that God calls us to. This will get me in trouble, but I want to tell you something about it. If you, you go back and the Bible, God said, be holy for I am holy. Well, that came out of quotes from the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, God tries to express this, and he says, be holy, for I'm holy. Be a holy people. Well, you think of holy as having a, a wings and a halo, and that's not what holiness means. But that's what we accept it as. But now, take your babies, like the babies that we have in the church. They, they will respond to your love, and they give love. But everything else about them is selfish. They want food. They want you to change them. They want you to do... I mean, it's all about them. They can't help that. That's the way we're born. We're all the same. And so the so God has to deal with us from the very little children. That's why he commands us to have parents. And so we have our parents and our grandparents and our aunts and uncles and our church friends and our people around us and either even other kids and we are always learning and growing and we get concepts and you know they used a teacher used to have a ruler wow she could hit you if you touched the wrong thing in the classroom or did the wrong thing and all the coaches had paddles and everything i don't think y'all have that anymore it's a different age you don't get the privilege of getting a swat. But, the, but children have to learn things. You have to teach it. You have no idea how much you're teaching a baby the first year. I mean, it's incredible what that baby's learning. They start learning before they're born. When they're still in their mother's womb, they start learning. They start learning by the tone. That's why husbands ought to treat their their wives like little goddesses when they're pregnant because they're taking care of the baby 
And the baby can hear when the mother gets upset. It's hard to keep a wife pleased, but you got to work on it. <laughs> I spend all your time trying to make this comfortable and this as pleasant as possible because it's for the, a new life's sake that you're doing this. You don't get in fusses and fights. You don't beat your wife with a bullwhip or anything during this time. Everything has to be cool. Got to be nice. So that because there's something going on, it's your flesh and blood that's coming out of there. You want to learn the right things. And it's encoding even before it's born. So you play the right kind of music. Less drums, more violins or something. Well, whole societies are like this, by the way. You go to certain, they found that certain tribes in Africa that when Ron was over there working with them, that you had to teach them basic stuff. I mean, they didn't know that you're supposed to wash your hands before you eat. They thought you eat when you can eat, find something. And all these different little tiny rules. Well, in the book of Leviticus, 16th, 17th, 18th, 19th, 20th chapter, it goes into great detail of all these little rules and things. Now, we're not under the law. Leviticus means law. And we're not under that law. So the things that offend you there, you're not under the law. You're under grace. Fortunately, because Jesus is risen from the dead. So you're under grace. But that doesn't mean these things don't exist. And it says, now, if you clean, here's the kind of stuff it teaches you. If you go out and you, you slaughter one of your hogs and you clean it and you work on it, you probably should take a bath, if not today, tomorrow at least. Because you're covered with and you need a bath. Do we have to be told that kind of stuff? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. You need to wash your feet every once in a while. Or your tennis shoes start moving by themselves. You have to, and it says... Wash your clothes. The scripture says, wash your clothes. They're trying to teach these people walking through the desert to wash your clothes so that you don't stand them up, you fold them. And all of those kind of things are going on. It says, now be careful with yourselves. Don't pierce yourself and and put metal and stuff all all in your bodies. It tells you that. Why? You're not under the law. If you want to do that, you can do that. It's okay for women to have earrings, I think. I've had some real good ones on that one. (laughs) When you have a daughter and she reaches a certain age, it's time to pierce the ears. And daddy doesn't want to do it. (laughs) Anyway, 
Those things are kind of silly. It says don't mark up your skin, you know, the tattoos. That's a big fad today. Everybody wants tattoos for some reason or another. But Scripture says don't do that. Why? Because when they did it, they did them to gods. They were representation. The reason you put a, a bone between your jaws here is because it honored this God in your presence. The reason you hung stuff all up and down your face and ears and around your neck and everything else was because it honored this particular God over here. The reason you marked your body all up and painted it is because it honored these different gods. Well, if you got a tattoo of Mickey Mouse on you, it probably doesn't mean that you're honoring Mickey Mouse as a god. It probably means that he was one of your favorite characters. But I'm just saying. Now, my rule would be, don't put anything on you you can't wash off. So my children have more trouble with me. I like rules and laws and all those things because it's easy. If I don't like something you're doing and I can find a rule right there in that scripture, ha, I win. But if I have to reason and think about it and try to get you to to develop a principle inside, that's hard work. That's pretty hard work. And that's what God wants us to do. He doesn't want us to live under the law anymore. He wants us to live in an order that comes from the inside. And so God says in the Old Testament, said, now I'm going to write all these laws on your heart. And so when you become a Christian, when you when Jesus comes into your heart, you'll be able to respond to him in the things that I want you to respond to in love, not in a legalistic I have to be right thing. So that's what this is all about. That's why John wrote the chapter on love. He said, love covers a multitude of sins. Isn't that great? I love that. (laughs) I love it that God not only forgives our sins, he covers us with his blood. The blood covers our sins. That means that nothing outside of the humanity can see my sins. That means the angels can't see my sins. They're covered by the blood. That means that the judge who sits on the great throne, the great white throne, that Jesus himself can't see my sins because he covered them with the blood. And so when I get there, I'm not under judgment. I'm under grace. I'm under welcome son of God come to me. You're a joint heir with me to receive the universe, to receive all the dimensions that are created. This dimension, the next dimension, the heavenly dimensions, whatever there is, God's got it. And we inherit it by becoming Christians. So why wouldn't anybody want to be a Christian? I have no idea how people can get stupid ideas like that. 
I know that it isn't of the Father who loves us that we should not become Christians. I know that he wants us to become Christians. And you don't just become a Christian. Just because I became a Christian on May the 2nd, 1957, doesn't mean that I hadn't, that I didn't have to also have faith on May the 8th or May the 10th or 1992 or 2014. I've got to practice the same faith. I've got to believe. I've got to trust Jesus and die to some of my own ideas and sins and things and keep him alive in my life by reading his Bible and knowing him. And then he takes those things because he is. He takes those things and makes them work. He makes your life a miracle. You could have been saved six times just getting here this morning. You don't know what's out there driving on those roads. You don't know what's going to fall from the heavens. The sky's falling. (laughs) And all you have to do is watch the Weather Channel, which is the greatest horror channel of any on your TV, and see how many things can destroy you. Water, wind, rain, fire, everything coming at you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Most of all, we thank you that you love us. You love us enough that you manifested yourself through, uh, through Jesus to us. And even though we don't see him today, We know he existed. There is something to base our faith on. Our faith isn't ignorant. Our faith is based upon eternal facts, wondrous miracle writings, and a beautiful expression of your love to us. So we accept you and want you to bless our lives And take us from where we are and work in a little more grace in our life this week. In Jesus' name, amen. We have the opportunity to share together with the large table. The the large table is... uh, open to all of us because it's Jesus inviting us to be a part of his body.